In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the third Sunday of Advent, commonly called Rose Sunday, uh, sometimes called Gaudete Sunday, a Latin for rejoice, uh, because the uh, medieval collects that would begin and refrains that would begin uh, the Old Mass began with rejoice. And uh, prominent are these two readings here from Zephaniah and from Philippians that encourage us in rejoicing. Rejoicing or experiencing joy is uh, something that we have to do on purpose. It's something that we have to do uh, with a disciplined life of practice. Joy does not come like happiness. It's very different. Happiness comes uh, as things in the world come. The weather and the people around us and the food that we have, things make us happy. Uh, But uh, it is fleeting and uh, comes and goes like the wind. Where joy is a disciplined practice of thanksgiving, of experiencing the presence of God in our hearts, and rejoicing for the gift of God himself. And this is the theme that we're going to carry through today and hopefully through all of Advent. This call for us to, in all things, at all times, rejoice. It's especially a difficult pill to swallow, I think, or a surprising one to see in the prophet Zephaniah for him to encourage the people to rejoice. Zephaniah is a prophet who's writing about 50 years before the Babylonian captivity, and he is including uh, for the people a warning about the suffering that is to come. So in including this warning for him to tell them to rejoice is kind of a remarkable thing for him to do. Uh, Very uh, seldom do we want to hear a warning and a call to rejoice at the same time. We see uh, that the Lord is a good parent who says, here are the consequences of what it is that you're going to do. The Lord makes very clear what the rules and boundaries are of life for the people of Israel. He makes it very clear what kind of a life they're supposed to live. He said, these are going to be the consequences. If you walk away from this, if you don't follow my law, the consequences are going to be, I'll lift my hand of protection from you. And there are invading hordes all around you, the Assyrians and the Babylonians who will come in once I lift my hand. That will be the consequence of uh, your sin. And then he promises them, even in their consequence, that he will dwell with them and that he will love them. And this is the piece that many parents, I think, miss. Uh, We miss the opportunity to, after we've disciplined a child, to bring them back into uh, love and into a good relationship. To say, though you've been disciplined, uh, though I've had to correct you, uh, you are still mine and I dwell with you. And to bring that child back into that good feeling. And this is what the Lord does as a promise. He says, though I have to discipline you, though I have to allow you to receive the consequences of your actions, I will always love you and dwell with you. And so he tells them to exult in their heart. The promise that he has for them, despite their consequence, is himself. You can see this in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 15. He says, the Lord is in your midst. 
This has been the promise of God all the way through salvation history, from the time of the Garden of Eden when the Lord is walking with Adam and Eve to the revelation of St. John where he's uh, celebrating with them and the, the, the Passover feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb uh, and his bride, the church. We see that God's desire, his plan is to dwell with his people, to be in their midst. And this is the promise that we see again in Zephaniah. The Lord is in your midst. He will exult over you. He says, I will bring you in. So he's again using that image of the shepherd. He's using that image of the flock, that he's gathering them together. He's gathering them into his barns. He's gathering them into his good pasture. He says, I'm going to gather you in. I will gather you in together. I will restore you and I will exult over you. And a God is in your midst. He's saying, I'm going to dwell with you. So this is the promise of Zephaniah. The promise is that he is going to be in our midst and that our response to that is supposed to be rejoicing. So those are two things that we miss. We miss many times that we're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to celebrate and come back into joy uh, with our children. What happens when we do that? If we miss doing that with our own families, if we miss doing that with our own children, we don't bring them into good feeling, then we're not going to expect that from God. And what happens is if we uh, start to recognize our sin, we do that first part of repentance and we say, oh, I've walked away from the Lord. And we don't expect that he's going to bring us back and to dwell with us and to be in our midst, then we're not going to receive uh, his compassion and forgiveness. So just as in the Lord's Prayer when we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, we have to in daily life expect that God is going to forgive us our sins and that he's going to come and dwell with us and share his joy with us so that we should expect that when we forgive as we forgive those that we have had to discipline. And so when we expect that the Lord is going to come back into good feeling with us, he's going to come back and he's going to dwell with us, then we have a response that we need to have ready at hand when we say, okay, Lord, you've disciplined me. I've been through something difficult. I've understood that the consequence of my sin is the suffering uh, and even death itself. You've come back and you've dwelled with me. Our response to that is rejoicing. So we say, the Lord is in my heart. The Lord has promised to be with me. He's given me his Holy Spirit in baptism. And my response then is to rejoice, to be glad. And that is a daily discipline that we are supposed to undertake. A daily discipline where we wait upon the Lord, we recognize his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and then our response is to rejoice, to say, praise be to God that you would dwell with me even though I am a sinner. And so that practice of rejoicing, that practice of expecting the Lord to come and to dwell with us and the expectation that he's going to prepare us and that he's going to warn us, that he's going to give us fair warning for how it is that we're supposed to live and for the virtue that we're supposed to live by is um, exemplified in John the Baptist. 
You'll remember that uh, the prophets of Israel have been silent now for hundreds of years. And uh, though the Lord has spoken to his people in wisdom, he's spoken to his people in history, he's spoken to his people um, in lots of different ways. This role of this um, exemplary prophet who stands out um, has been brought back in the person of John the Baptist. And here in St. Luke's Gospel in chapter 3, he's doing this work that we've seen Elijah do, that we've seen Isaiah do. And indeed, he used uses many of their phrases and and turns of speech in order to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, to prepare them for uh, recognizing what the consequences of their sin will be. And he has to to lay a groundwork for them by saying, first and foremost, uh, you have to repent. You have to recognize the sin that you've committed. And he's saying that what they're doing is they're relying on uh, something about themselves, right? Uh, Well, we're children of Abraham. So because we're children of Abraham, we're going to be speeded, uh, treated in a special manner. Uh, we might do this sometimes, uh, do we not? Oh, because we're Americans, because we're Christians, because uh, we're of a certain economic class or whatever it is, we're going to get some kind of special treatment. And uh, John says, uh, the Lord can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. You're not special, <laughs> right? You're as special as a rock. That's what he's saying. That's how special you are, right? So, we have nothing in ourselves to celebrate. All of our celebration, all of our exultation, all of our rejoicing is in God alone. And our expectation is to turn to him and to look to him to see, how am I supposed to live? And it's a beautiful response that the people of, um, of Israel give as they gather around the Jordan River and uh, hear John uh, baptize. They give the same response, I hope you recognize, that the people of Jerusalem give in Acts chapter 2, the second part of Luke's gospel. Do you recognize that? They ask, how now shall we live? How now shall we live? So the Lord is saying, there's consequences for sin. There's nothing special about you. Rejoice in what I've given you. And the people's response to that then is, how now shall we live? And John teaches them a very simple virtue. He teaches them a very simple virtue. I would call this the kindergarten rules. Unfortunately, there's lots of people that miss some basic fundamental teachings in kindergarten. The very dangerous thing is that if we miss it in kindergarten, it's really hard to learn as teenagers or as adults. Things like keep your hands to yourself. Don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you, right? These are very basic rules that if we don't learn them in life, we're going to be in really great hardship later in life, right? And so he's teaching them here the kindergarten rules. How does he start? The first thing he starts with um, is with uh, those who have um, enough to share. But I'd like to go to the last one. He has three groups that he talks to. I'd like to go to the last group, which is the soldiers, in verse 14. So Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 14. He's telling the soldiers not to extort, right? Not to use their strength and their power to get what they can get from others. This is a very dangerous thing about people that are bigger than others, people that are stronger than others, people that have more authority. Uh, It's very tempting to use that power to get one over on somebody else. And he's saying the antidote to that, the antidote to that is contentment. 
How do we get contentment? Through thanksgiving. So this takes us back to rejoicing. We're supposed to be giving thanks for what we have in the moment. So when we give thanks for what we have, we become content, satisfied with what we have, and that removes, it takes away the temptation to try to get more from other people. When we're content with what we have and we're thankful for what we have, it takes away the temptation to take from other people. So that's where we have to start. First, to be content with what I have. I have enough. Right? I have enough. The second one is in verse 12. It's to the tax collectors. And he tells them, only collect what you're authorized to collect, which is basically saying, follow the rules. Right? There are rules. In society, everybody has a rule that they're supposed to follow. If you're a tax collector, if you're a teacher, if you're a soldier, there are rules. And so recognize what the rules are and follow the rules. Only collect what you're authorized to collect. You've been given a job. So do the job that you're given to do. We all have jobs, hopefully, right? If you don't know what your job is, we'd better find it quick. Because we all have a job. Right? We all should have a job in the church. Every one of us should have a role to play. We all should have a job in our household. Right? And there are rules around those jobs. And so he's saying that you need to do only what you're authorized to do. So be content, recognize what your role to play is, and play that role. Do what you've been called to do. And then the last is with those who have something to share. So to recognize that my, what I've been given isn't just for me alone, but it's for me to give to others. To be recognizing the needs of others. And this requires compassion. It requires me to look at other people and to see what is it that they may need. What do I have that can fulfill their need? So I'm to be thankful, I'm to recognize what my role is and to play it, and then I'm supposed to practice compassion to look at others and to do for them what needs to be done. The problem with all this is, is we can't do it. At least not without the Holy Spirit. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. And John addresses that. He says, I'm baptizing you with water. That washes away sin. But Jesus is going to come and he is going to baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit. The danger with the Holy Spirit is a lot like electricity. We can plug in our radio and play beautiful music or we can lick our finger and put it in the socket and we'll be electrocuted. Right? The Holy Spirit's the same way. If we get the Holy Spirit and then we decide that we're not going to be thankful and we're not going to be content and we're not going to play by the rules and we're not going to do these things, we will become consumed. We will experience condemnation and we'll be consumed by God's power. But if we treat that power with the proper respect and thanksgiving, we can plug in those radios and we can tune them by obedience and we can receive the word of God, which will encourage and strengthen us and give us all that we need, the power, the grace that we need to do the work that we've been given to do. And of course, and always, uh, St. Paul comes back and he clarifies um, all of these things. He clarifies for us that we need to be bearing fruit in this simple virtue because Christ is coming uh, with fire. And so in, in, in Luke, uh, excuse me, in Philippians chapter 4, he says we need to think, we need to pray, and we need to rejoice. So the first thing is we need to, we need to remember what it is that's good. 
right? We need to remember what it is that we're supposed to be focused on because our minds can go all kinds of places. And the mind is any kind of a muscle that has to be exercised and has to be tuned and it has to be uh, focused upon uh, things that will bring about these goodness uh, benefits, right? And so he gives us a list of things that we're supposed to be focused on in, in verse 8, right? He says, find whatever is true, find whatever is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think on these things. This is a medicine cabinet list. This is why the first thing I read in the newspaper is the comics. Right? To me, they're the only true part of the whole newspaper. I read all kinds of things in the newspaper and I think, ah, I'm not sure about that. Right? But Garfield's always funny. Right? It's always true. He's showing us clearly what laziness does, what selfishness does, and we can laugh at it as we laugh at ourselves. That's true. So we think about true things. What is it that I can focus on that's true and that's lovely? Of course, this is why we read the scripture. This is why we listen to the hymns of the church. This is why we focus on the beauty of creation. Why it is that we celebrate these things? So whatever is lovely and commendable and excellent, think about these things. It has, to, it has to start with our understanding that we have a will and can decide what it is that we're going to think about. We can decide what we're going to think about. And this brings us to verse 6 where he says, Don't be anxious, which is really easy to say and really hard to do. Don't be anxious. Here's Howard's nickel tour of mental health. Anxiety is thinking about things in the future, putting all of my mental energy into something that hasn't happened yet. Depression is putting all my energy and mental awareness into things in the past I can't control. Right? I have no power in the past. I have no power in the future. I put all of my energy into one of those two places. The task before me then is to be where? Right here. Right, right here. So he says, don't be anxious. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The only way to do that is to be in the present. The only way with prayer and supplication to make our requests known to God is to do that right here and right now. So we have to recognize, what is it that I need right now? What is it the people around me need right now? What's going on right now? What is it that I need to bring the Lord into? What do I need to ask Him uh, for? Right? What am I supposed to be doing right now? What am I supposed to be thinking about right now? What's my heart supposed to be doing right now? So when we ask all those things, we come into the present moment, we recognize that God is the one who's in charge, that anxiety dissipates because we're in the moment and we're recognizing that God is the one with the power and the authority. And when we do that, when we give over all of that responsibility to the Lord and we're in the moment with Him, we're in the moment with Him, we're able to rejoice. Because our rejoicing is always a response to God and to His presence. So that's our homework. That's our promise. He is faithful. If we will but take a moment and bring these things to God, if we will but stop and say, you have all of the power and authority, you are my good Father, who will not only discipline me, but bring me back into your presence. You have promised that I would be in your midst. 
And when I am here with you now, I will feel your Holy Spirit in your presence, and my heart will rejoice. May we rejoice today and in all things.